Well, I have been having a devil of a time getting podcasts done during class due to various mistakes on my part, um, which is why I didn't record in class on the 25th, and various issues on other ends, which are slowing the availability of some older podcasts as well, but I'm pretty confident we'll be able to get back most, if not all of them. In any case, I'm recording this from my office on Thursday the 26th to try to at least make sure that there's a resource available for you for the second exam uh, that covers some of what we covered, the relevant portions of what we covered in class on Wednesday the 25th. Um, what I tried to do in class was separate students into groups of people who were more or less Arizona natives. Those would be um, people who've lived here ever since they were born, or um, short of that, if they had uh, arrived before the, about the age of 12 and had lived here since. Those, those people will most likely fall into a, a language group or a dialect group that um, has control of Arizona English, which is what I'm, I tried to test in class on this day. And then that was opposed to a, a large number of students who aren't Arizona natives. Um, and I'm going to be interested to see, I haven't done the analysis yet of our in-class polls, to see exactly how these all fell out. But I asked students to click in with an identifier so that at least I could try post hoc to track who was answering polls which way. Um, hopefully you know this. My Wednesday office hours have changed from they used to be right after class at 2, and um, for the last two Wednesdays of the term, I'm teaching another class from 2 to 2.50, so I've had to move office hours back till 3 p.m. Only one more office hour that that uh, affects, though, because after the 2nd of May, the last day of classes, none of us will be holding regular office hours anymore. We'll all be available by appointment. I did my typical reminder about where we are and um, begged students in attendance to please, please, please submit their field report properly and on time, where properly meant before the start of section on Friday as a PDF to the Dropbox. Um, please, you know, keep your D2L Dropbox receipts all the way until we filed final grades for the class. It just helps us to know that you're protected in case there's some sort of data loss at some point. Um, this is what the field report is for. I trust that you're working on it already because I'm taping this at 2.35 in the afternoon on Thursday and the field report is due tomorrow. But this is exactly the same set of issues that I've gone through in class at the start of class for the last three class periods in a row. What we expect from the field report is that you're going to use your field notebooks 1 through 4 as drafts of the content. You're going to follow the outline given in the field report assignment description sheet. And you're going to fill in that outline using corrected versions of your field notebooks 1 through 4. So then you'll make an overall introduction, an overall conclusion, some transitions. A lot of the required references in your field notebooks 1 through 4 will now be showing up in your transitional statements rather than in uh, a paper introduction or conclusion as they did in the field notebooks. 
and you'll have one reference page. It's very important that you give us a complete reference page and an appendix of words. And we're not going to be horribly persnickety about format on the appendix of words, but we do want to be able to identify the words that you're using in the field report and ensure that they're being represented consistently, consistently with each other and consistently with your phonemic inventory and consistently in the different parts of your field report. Okay, um, I also advertised again extra credit opportunities including the survey of Bischoff and Fountain chapters. If you want to do that you can send me an email and we'll accept uh, any participations, any extra credit participations through midnight on Wednesday, May the 2nd. Those will be available for credit, not after that. And the reason for that is we want to be sure we have plenty of time to get those things in the gradebook accurately before final grades are due. Um, a number of people who read those manuscripts and see the name Shannon Bischoff have a very different picture in their head of who Shannon Bischoff might be. Um, this is Shannon Bischoff. He's a dude, not a chick, even though most commonly the name Shannon goes with women. But he's definitely not a woman. Uh, and he's a very nice dude. And I, I picked out this picture of him because he's trying to look mean. He's totally not a mean person, but he you know, wanted to look mean for his faculty photo. And that was as close as it got. It makes me giggle. Okay. I reviewed the main points from previous the, the previous class, so I think you should be very handy with the terms linguistic variety versus regional dialect versus sociolect versus idiolect. These are some of the important regional dialect variants that we talked about in class on the previous class. So you should know what the low back merger is, what the broad A split is, what a rhotic variety is versus an R-less variety. We also looked at monophthongization of I to AH in a particular regional dialect of American English and diphthongization of A to IA in a different regional dialect. And so I wanted to start with that different regional dialect. It's called the Northern Cities Chain Shift. Um, what's called that? The dialect is called the Northern Cities Dialect. This particular property of it is a systematic change in pronunciation of all of the short vowels as is illustrated on this chart. And if you were really good at your vowel charts back in the first part of this class, you'll look at this and you'll you'll say, oh, oh, that makes perfect sense. Look, the first step in the chain shift is that speakers' ah sounds started to raise, and in fact they diphthongize, to trip. And then as the second step in the change, Aw vowels move forward to ah, and then as the third step in the change, the uh, like strut, move down. Um, so those would be pronounced more like aw, and so on. You can you can follow the chain, but I find these these diagrams actually pretty confusing. So rather than try to explain it in great detail on the chart, as I'm obviously bad at doing, 
I wanted to um, play for the class a little snippet of an interview with Bill Labove. This is William Labove. He is one of the primary scholars in America who works on dialectal variation. And this is an interview uh, with him talking about this particular variety, the Northern Cities variety. And I think he explains it better than I do. So let me play this for you. Just a few of the samples of this great rotation of balls. 
So, I love those clips because they illustrate so clearly um, that the vowel in isolation has clearly shifted, but when we hear it in a bigger context, we can tell which vowel sound it used to be. So far, in our discussion of various varieties of English, we've looked mostly at the sound pattern differences, phonological differences, and a lot of our discussion has been about vowels. And that's because in English, much of the dialectal, regional dialectal variation shows up in different pronunciations of vowels. Um, and sometimes not vowels, but syllable codas, syllable rhymes, so the constituent of the syllable that has a vowel. What you've seen, I hope, is that we can have a particular pronunciation change, like for example, arlessness, that is seen as part of a very prestigious variety. For example, received pronunciation in British English is arless. Um, that's the Queen's English. But it, the same phonological process can be found in varieties we would typically refer to as stigmatized, lower status varieties such as African American vernacular English, which is also arless. We even see these things changing over time. So the prestige varieties of American English before World War II were largely arless. After World War II, they became the prestige varieties became rhotic. And today, in the US, most of the R-less varieties are stigmatized. Not all of them. There's a Boston Brahmin accent, which is a high status, um, high socioeconomic status accent in, in Boston. That's R-less still. But the vast, vast uh, majority of R-less dialects in American English now are stigmatized ones, and that includes African American vernacular English and a number of others. So the grammar changes over time, as do our perceptions of what counts as prestigious or high status or proper uh, pronunciation. So there's nothing about the particular grammatical process that's better or worse. It's our attitudes usually about the people who use it that color our perception of the thing. So this is a map that Dr. LeBove and his students have produced of the major dialect areas in the US. And the green lines on this map mark more or less dialect, major dialect boundaries. So these dialect areas have been established through extensive research and study of speakers in various places, mostly in urban areas in the US. And what you see, uh, each of these little circles or squares or stars or triangles or diamonds, those, each one of those is a location of one or more speakers who've participated in the studies. So you should notice two things about this map. One is that there seems to be a lot of dialectal variation in the northeastern US and very little in the West. So it's traditionally believed about American English that the West, which is pretty much everything west of the, well, it's, it's more than just west of the Rockies, right, is, constitutes one dialect area. 
But more and more we're finding that there are varieties, different varieties of regional dialects, even in this one dialect area called the West, including possibly an Arizona variety. So I've summarized in this slide the results of our polls from the previous class. And these results verify that most of the students in our class share the phonetic properties that we would expect from a Western dialect of American English. The Western dialect has the low back merger, but it does not have the broad A split. It is a rhotic dialect. It does not monophthongize I, and it doesn't diphthongize yeah. So this, this sample, at least, is very consistent with the, the claim that most of us in the room probably speak a variety of Western American English. But throughout the class, I took some polls in phonological and some word level properties that I think might be emerging as markers of more local, a more local dialect. So for example, I asked students to tell me what they thought the first vowel uh, in their pronunciation of the word language might have been. And I'm going to pronounce for you the various options. Uh, and you can see, you can't vote in a poll because you're listening on the podcast, but you can at least see where you, f you think you fit in. So uh, some of us have an a ah in that position. We say language. Others have e, eh, language. Others have a, language. Language, language, language. It becomes hard to hear, right? But if you can tune in on that, um, that's, you, can, you can begin to hear a difference. I also asked about the vowel in the word M-I-L-K. So I asked students to select between a pronunciation like milk, 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 milk. And the vowel in the word dude. So the two possibilities here, one is dude and the other one is dude, dude, dude. If you can hear that difference, you, uh, you might be able to tell which one you have. We looked at the presence of what's called intrusive R in words like wash. So some people say wash, others say warsh. We, we asked students which one they had. Intrusive L shows up in some dialects of English in, a, in words like both. So some people say both, uh, others say both. And you notice that this is still focusing on vowels and syllable rhymes. The presence or absence of certain sonorant segments in syllable rhymes is one key way in which the dialects of American English vary. But we all know that there's various morphological markers too, like what word do you use to describe certain kinds of things. So we asked students to, to click in with what they most naturally would use as a generic word to refer to 
all these different kinds of fizzy sweetened beverages and I forced a choice between these three. Most varieties also have soft drink as a choice but the most regionalized varieties are are these three soda, pop, coke. If you don't happen to come from the American Southeast you might not realize that in some varieties spoken there you can use the word coke to refer to any of these so you would say if you were going to order a Mountain Dew you might say I have I want a Mountain Dew coke or I want a root beer coke or I want a Dr. Pepper coke so for me in my particular variety of American English coke is a brand name but in other varieties it's a generic term this was a problematic quiz. I didn't have the right, all the right options uh, on the slide, so I'm going to fix it and rerun the quiz on Monday. So I'm not going to tell you much about this one. And you'll, oh, and you'll notice that I haven't told you much about the, the actual distribution in the class on any of these, and that's because I'm going to review that at the start of class on Monday. So you will get to know how people voted but you won't get to know right yet I, I asked about words for small waterways um, differentiating between creek crick brook and arroyo and again I know there's other words like stream that you might use for this kind of thing but I picked the ones that were most dialectically dialectally marked in American English um, and this is a particular feature that's common in Arizona but not commonly found outside of Arizona. So I asked about this one too, whether you would call it an arroyo, a wash, or a dry riverbed. You might have other words for it. Ah, and that's actually, let me go back, that's, that was our last poll of the day. So you if you missed class you've now heard the bulk of what we discussed together in class on Wednesday the 25th you did miss the polling so your results won't be included in our summary of votes but at least you got to see the kinds of things that people got to to think about and you can think about how you use these things in your own speech and then come to class on Monday with that information in mind and see see what you think as we talk about the results of the polls <laughs>